You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. In the book of Matthew, see, what did I just say? Matthew. Matthew, yeah, you guys are paying attention. We see people. It doesn't say exactly who, so I'm not really sure who these people were. Maybe they were parents or grandparents, teachers, neighbors. We don't really know who. But these people, they did something extraordinary. They recognized that the children in their lives needed Jesus. So they went out of their way to find him and bring those children to Jesus. Very good, Miss Linda. Now, unfortunately, some of the people around them, these disciples, they didn't always, yes, disciples, they, they didn't always understand everything, right? They, they got a lot of things wrong, right? We, we do too, right? We get a lot of things wrong sometimes. So these disciples, they got upset with these adults and they told them to leave Jesus alone. Now, however, see, G- Jesus, he loves the children. He loves all of them. Jesus is not afraid of spit up. He's not afraid of the smell of poop, right? That doesn't make Jesus go cower away. He's not afraid of loud noises or messes or big feelings. Jesus embraces all of it. Aren't we thankful for that? I'm thankful for that, right? Jesus came to earth for all of us, and that included all of the children. So instead, Jesus, he turns to them and he says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. See, Jesus, he took time to hear the parents cry and to bless each and every one of them. But not only did he bless them, he also explained that heaven was for them too. See, these people, they were pursuing Jesus. Maybe they were going to him for themselves. We're not really sure how it started, right? Maybe they were there to hear him speak or they were just walking by and saw him praying for someone. We don't really know how it started. But the point is, is they were there Jesus was there, and so were their children. So I want to encourage each and every one of you, when you are pursuing Jesus, bring your children along with you. When you come to church, bring your children with you. When you log in online to church, have your kids sit with you. When you're reading your Bible, Read a part of it to them or get their Bible out and show them what you're reading or even ask them what they've been reading lately themselves. When you're in the car together, put on some worship music. When you pursue Jesus, bring your children along with you. I, I'm a parent myself. I have three kids at home that my husband and I are raising together and I do not always get it right. Actually, in fact, I probably get it wrong more than I get it right. But sometimes at dinner, when we're eating together, I'll ask everyone the question, good, bad, God. What was good about your day? What was bad about your day? And what did God do today? Now, that can mean 
anything, right? But what it has done is it's challenged me to look for what God did during my day, right? How did he show up? Where were his fingerprints? How can I see him more closely? How did he speak to me? How did he interact with me? And by me processing that, figuring out how to see God in the mundane, I'm teaching my kids to look for him too. Now, how often did these people bring their children to Jesus? Well, we have no idea, right? Maybe that was the only time. Maybe they did it every day. That's why the disciples were so annoyed, right? We, we really don't know. But we do know that it happened this one time. And that one time made such a huge impact that we are reading about it today. It was recorded for us from Matthew as an encouragement to us to keep it going. So parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, neighbors, teachers, adults, bring the children in your lives to Jesus. Don't listen to the voices around you telling you it's not important or it can wait. And if you forget or you get it wrong, forgive yourself and try again tomorrow. Just keep bringing them to Jesus. Amen. How many of you, um, if your kids are old enough, you remember the first time you left them home alone? Yeah. No, there was not the, the sticky bandits coming to the house trying to, to break in. Um, remember the movie, right? Um, but you remember this list you gave your kids, told them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. One of the things was like, do not answer the door, right? Remember that was like on the list, do not. Back in the day before we had cell phones, do not answer the phone. So the first time my wife left our kids home, she was going to go to the store and be gone just a very short time. And she had this list of things, don't, 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 don't. And then, of course, like, do be nice to each other, right? Well, one of the things that was not on the list was something one of my kids decided to get into because it wasn't on the list. Because, of course, when mom's gone, it would be a great idea to get out the, um, I don't know, the, the glue. What's that? Well, you've got the whole thing already? you got to have all 16 of them cover all, okay? All 25 of them. Okay, but good job. And Linda's helping you guys out. Linda, you're not, I know you're a kid at heart, but you have to be a kid or a teen to win. But listen, oh, you're going to hand it off. You're wonderful. Okay, so there's this glue, right? What's this glue called? Then it's like when you get it on there, it never goes away, right? Super glue, yeah. Okay, it's super sticky. And if you read the bottle, you're convinced that if you mess with this, it'll be on your body for the rest of your life because that's what the bottle tells you. Well, my nine-year-old decided, hey, mom's not here. I should probably do like a school project with, with the super glue. And so all of a sudden, Caitlin's playing with it, and she gets a little bit on her fingers, and she starts to panic. And so the older sister calls mom, and's like, Caitlin is panicked because she has super glue on her fingers. And Caitlin's old enough to read, and she reads on the bottle like, oh, no, this is going to be on my fingers for the rest of my life. And so mom comes home and is like, okay, we can get it off there. It's going to be okay. Because as parents, we want to equip our kids, right? We want to equip them to do the right thing. And so if you know when you're going to be gone, there's no way you can hit the entire list. And of course, from that point forward, every time Christy was to go to the store, she'd be like, now remember, do this, do this, do this, don't, don't do this, don't do this, and don't play with super glue, okay? So 
as parents, we want our kids, right? We want to equip them. We want them to be uh, successful in every area. And we're going to read a story today. So if you have your Bibles, open it to John chapter 6. It's a story probably most of you have read because it's a pretty popular story. But it's a story that I, I, there's an extra miracle in it because um, this boy does something pretty miraculous in the story. So in John chapter 6, we read this story about Jesus had been extremely busy. And uh, he had been doing miracles. And so in John chapter 6, verse 1, he crossed the shore to the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him. And they saw the signs he performed healing the sick. And he went up on a mountainside and sat down with the disciples. And the Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, Jesus asked us, but he had another plan in mind. Okay. And Philip says, it's going to take more than half of our year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have a bite of food. And then another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter, spoke up and said, here is a boy. He's got his lunch that his mom sent. And all he has is five loaves of bread and two fish. Okay. So if you're paying attention on your bingo card, I just gave you a couple of huge ones. Okay. Okay. He has five loaves of bread and two fish. But I look out and there are 5,000 men who were following Jesus, and those men, of course, had wives. They had children, so it could have been fifteen to 20,000. And this boy shows up and he, because he probably had a mom who was prepared. How many moms, you prepare your kids' lunch and you send them off to school? Yeah, the Lunchable. I call the charcuterie boards these days like Lunchables for adults. So mom sent him off with this little bit of lunch just for himself, and this boy did something that's miraculous. How many kids have been so hungry? You say something like this. Like before lunch, I am starving to death. And you're not. This boy shows up at lunch. He's the only person with food. And this boy decides to do something miraculous. He decides he will share what his mom has given him. He's going to share his lunch with 5,000 people. Now, we all know the math. Five loaves of bread and two fish is not going to go very far. But he had no idea when he did this, God was going to do something miraculous. What I love about the scriptures is Jesus did miracles where he provided healings. But sometimes Jesus did just the practical miracle like they needed food, or he's at a wedding, right? Or they can't catch any fish. And in this situation, Jesus took that little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he gave thanks, and when he broke it, okay, they passed out enough fish and bread that they had 12 baskets of fish and bread left over. He performed a miracle. And when I look at this, it reminds me of this, because this, this boy obviously had something happening at home with his parents, where they were like, hey, you learn to share, Okay, because at some point when our kids get old enough and they become on their own, they start making their own decisions. And so when this mom sent him out that morning, I'm sure she didn't say, when you get there, if there's 5,000 people don't have lunch, please make sure you share it with all of them. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't a part of the last minute things. Don't play with super glue. Make sure you share your lunch with 5,000 people. No, but he had been trained by his parents. And at some point, the faith that he had received from his parents to do the right thing, he started living it out himself. And I've been doing kids' ministries now. Coming up next year will be almost um, 29 years in kids' ministries. And I have seen kids after kids come through. And it's been exciting because I look at some of our teenagers that are up here serving today. They grew up coming to church. And parents, let me just tell you, it's so important that you guys do your part and then God will do his part. I love what Galatians 6, 7 through 9 tells us. Because those verses tell us this. Don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. You reap what you sow. So if you sow something, you're going to reap it. Then in verse 9, it says this, that do not give up. There is a harvest of blessing coming. And so it's really important that we do our part. Okay, our part is, as Pastor Danielle said, you've got a huge part to play. You are the spiritual leader in your home. But one of the things you're doing is you are investing in them. They are being, they're, what they're, you're teaching them, they're catching it. 
They're, and they're, what they're seeing you do, they're living it out. And so we they see a story like this where like, so if this boy had not brought the fish and the bread, what would Jesus have done? I mean, would he have still performed the miracle? He obviously could have. But this boy did a small step of faith by saying, I'm going to share this with him. And look what happens. And God does that. And God does that in our kids' lives. When they do the step of faith to say, I'm going to do something that's out of my comfort zone. I'm going to share my lunch. But God's going to do something incredible with that. One of the verses I live my life by, and if you guys hear me speak, I say this pretty regularly, and it says this, we want to reach kids before they need to be rescued. And so through our kids ministry and youth ministry here, between all our pastors and directors here, we want to come alongside you. We want to help them so when they get to the point in life when there's struggles and things and temptations that come along them, that they've been rescued already so when those temptations come, they're able to stand up. And when they have a situation where mom doesn't say, make sure you share your lunch, they're going to share their lunch because they know it's the right thing to do. All right, so I know that the suspense is building now because those bingo cards are getting kind of full, and you're wondering, are you the last speaker of the morning? <laughs> and I am. And so as you can imagine, I'm going to talk a little bit about teenagers, um, but particularly I want to speak to the parents of teenagers or maybe those who have raised teens already, because those of you that are raising teenagers right now, you're in the thick of it, in the thick of the war, and everybody else are grizzled veterans, you know, still dealing with the PTSD of this experience. <laughs> so we all have something we can relate to in this message. So I know that we all want to do everything in our power to, to set our children on a course that's going to lead to a happy and fulfilling life. But there comes a point in our journey where, where our role as parents, our, our control just begins to diminish. You know, we go from being this person where anything you say can be believed and trusted to suddenly being a person where everything you say is to be ignored. And, and just to give you an example, you know, when, when my youngest son was little, he said, Daddy, how did you get that scar on your stomach? And I said, well, that was from when I fought a shark. And he never questioned it. In his mind, dad fought a shark and he won, and that makes complete and total sense. Now, later I told him it was actually from a surgery, but the shark story was just way more fun to tell. And he believed it. Um, but eventually, as many of you have seen or you're experiencing now, the child that once trusted everything that you said becomes a young person who develops a will of their own. And I think, um, and, and you see it because you start to get these questions, like where they're exercising their will. Hey, mom, dad, can I, can I dye my hair blue? Hey, I know we have this family thing planned, but can I go hang out with my friends? Can I have a phone with no restrictions on it at all, like every other teenager? And we... Uh, watch this play out in this process of them developing their own will. And I think, honestly, if we're being honest, a little bit scary to us because it means the potential for pain or disappointment is becoming very real. And I think there's a story in the Bible that, that captures this risk and reward of parenting um, really well, and it's a parable of the prodigal son. So we're going to open up to Luke 15. Starting in verse 11, and it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, 
the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine that the, in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Is it true? Yeah, I feel like there's still one more word. The people have spoken. And remember, only a child or teen can win, parents, oh, grandparents, aunts whoops. and uncles. Miss Linda. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. And the suspense just got even, even bigger. All right. So he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And I think when we re read this story from the perspective of a parent, you can't help but just kind of feel the, the sting of rejection to imagine your child saying, I don't really care about you. I just want what you owe me as a parent. So imagine handing off your land or your property to your child and they sell it off to get cash to, to fund their wild lifestyle. And all you can do is just kind of hang back and watch it all kind of play out on Instagram stories. And especially in the culture of this day, it would have been not only a rejection of the father, but a total rejection of the family's heritage, you know, because the land represented where their family had come from and, and, and how they had gotten to where they were presently. So there was, there was so much weight to this. But the son, he wanted to get away. He was ready to go. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm moving to another town to, to get a legitimate job and I'm going to find a church and plug in and, and start serving. No, he was pursuing a lifestyle that would have been a total rejection of the family's values, which meant the potential for embarrassment was very real. So he had rejected his own father, the family's heritage, the family's values. And I think that's the greatest fear that we have as, as parents. What if I do everything that I know to do, and yet they reject it all? What if I can't control the outcome? So what can we actually do? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of parenting strategies out there, and I'm not here to give you all of them. But I think this is just one of those areas in our life, a critical area in our life where we have to live it out in faith. Because we know that, that God has not called us to live in fear, but to live in faith. And parenting is one of those callings that just requires great faith. So as we read this story, did the father display great faith? Well, I think so, because it takes a lot of faith to let go, to release control, even if it means allowing to son, his son to make mistakes, even if it means giving him the thing that he thought he wanted. I think it takes faith to hold on to this verse, this, this one that, that, we, that we use in our hardest moments to remind us, oh man, it's going to be okay, because train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was, is old, he will not depart from it. And I think it's interesting that this verse says when he is old, there's a lot of time gap between there, between young and old, right? There's a lot that can happen in the meantime. So what does happen? Well, I think as parents, probably a lot less control and a whole lot of faith. So we do know that the father, though, he kept his eye on the horizon and he was ready for when his son returned to his senses. And here's what it says, starting in verse 16 
or 17, when he came to his senses, oh, thank God. <laughs> when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And what a relief. I can't imagine how many times the father had rehearsed this in his mind and in his heart and in his prayers. And the scripture says he was filled with compassion. And when he saw him, he gave him a great big hug. (laughs) We're all winners here today. How do you even determine the winner now? I, Run to uh, her. The first teen and adult uh, kid who go to Ashley and show it to her. Caitlin, do you have bingo? All right, jump from the balcony. You can make it. <laughs> I could feel the suspense building the whole time. Oh, thank you so much. Make sure she gets a prize. She went the extra mile. Okay. So we just have a couple more moments. We, we got our bingo winners, and I'm going to just continue talking. So it's interesting. The father comes, he embraces his son, and and I imagine there was a lot of things he could have said in that moment, such as, you know, oh, look what the cat dragged in. Oh, look at you. I I told you this would happen. See, why didn't you listen to me? Or in the case of this story, wow, you smell like literal pig dung. Get out of my house. But instead, he was moved to compassion, and I think very relieved that his faith, the faith he had been holding on to, found its moment of fulfillment. And this wayward son was met with immediate and total forgiveness. And you realize the whole process was messy, it was costly, it was embarrassing, and it was painful. And there's probably quite a few parents in the room that know a little bit about how that feels. But I think also what's amazing about this story is there's no greater picture of how God feels about each of us. In our rebellion, we have rejected God, but when we came to our senses, he meets us with compassion and unbelievable patience and total forgiveness. And it's a picture of the gospel playing out in the context of a family. I think we're all either in or have experienced a wild ride in raising kids. And my encouragement would would be this, to do everything that you know to do that is right and do it in faith because complete control was never going to be an option. And then be ready to leave some space in your heart for a lot of compassion, plenty of forgiveness. And that's the very thing that our Heavenly Father has extended for us. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that raising kids, being a parent, having a family is really the greatest calling that we can have in this life. And Lord, we thank you that you walk with us. Lord, that you model for us what it means 
to have compassion, to open up our heart for forgiveness, to walk through the ups and downs alongside of us. So Lord, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit, that you would guide us by the wisdom of your word, and that you would give us great faith to carry out this calling. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.